0: Well, amen, and welcome to church on the first day of spring today. And it's beautiful outside and uh, supposed to get even warmer as we go through the week and then snow next Sunday. But hey, we're here today. We're here. We're good today. So that's good. Uh, I wonder if we... Let me just ask you to stand one more time and... uh, Would you do something today? This is Invitation Sunday, and and I know that for some it's spring break, but I wanted to do this. Would you stand and just turn and greet someone next to you there? Say, I'm glad you're here today. We're glad you're here today. Amen. Welcome. Welcome. And I see some old friends here today. Praise God. Good to see you. All right. All right, and you can be seated. Just You don't want to get too friendly. <laughs> All right, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to a very surprising... Verse almost shocking in to its original hearers, and it's John three sixteen. Amen. John three sixteen. While you're finding that, <laughs> everybody ought to be able to find that pretty quick. Let me just tell you, the next couple of weeks, we're having take the tithe challenge. Um, What that means is I'm asking the whole church individually, tithe. Not sacrificial giving or half your paycheck or double the tithe. Just just the tithe. And I want to show you, take the tithe challenge. You remember the, the little... Uh, lad in John six who had loaves and fishes, a uh, couple of sandwiches, a couple of fish, and he gave them to Jesus, and Jesus blessed them. He touched them, and then he passed them out, and they fed five thousand. Here's what the Bible teaches about the tithe: your ninety percent under the blessing of God will go farther than your 100% used as you see fit. God keeps a tithe for himself so you can grow in faith and he will bless when we give him that 10%, he will bless that 90% to to go far beyond what the math calls for. So I'm 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 issuing a challenge over these next two weeks, just take the tithe challenge. Say, I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to ask God to bless my 90% beyond what my, if I kept it, what it would bring to me. So that's the next couple of weeks. John chapter 3 and verse 16. John three 16. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, or King James says, only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There are 30, over 31,000 verses in the Bible, but this one is generally regarded as a kind of summary of the whole Bible. Everything you need to know about going to heaven is in this one verse. It's also a famous verse. Uh, You can see it on t-shirts or as graffiti on walls. Sporting events. When Tim Tebow played a final championship game in the college, he had it. Underneath his eyes, you know where they put the black uh, shadow to, for cause of the sun? Uh, he put John 3.16 underneath his eyes. After the game was over, Google reported 90 million hits on John 3.16 after that game. And some pointed out that when Tebow led Denver to a victory over the Steelers in the playoffs... And I I do remember that game. I watched that game. He threw for 316 yards and averaged 31.6 yards per completion. Strange facts. The best way, though, to understand John 3.16 is to read it from the standpoint of its original audience. How did they hear it? And his original audience was primarily Jews. And I would say it's surprising. It would have been surprising and maybe even shocking to these original Jewish listeners. Why shocking? Well, here's one thing. I want to point out three things that surprises us in this verse or would have surprised the first century listener. One is that God loved the world. God loved the world. Everybody knew in the first century God loved the Jew. Leon Morris, in his commentary on John, writes, that The Jew looked with proud disdain upon the Gentile, for he knew the Jews were God's chosen people. And the Jew was ready to think of God loving Israel, but no passage can be cited in which any Jewish writer maintained that God loved the world. Think about that. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, it was not because... You, Jews, the Jewish nation, was more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest. You are a small nation. But it is because the Lord loves you. He loves you because He loved you. He set His love on you. In fact, Isaiah 40, 17, I just finished reading Isaiah, and he said, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing. But what does he say about Israel? They're his treasured possession out of all peoples on the face of the earth. And then here's one I came across I never cease to be amazed at this. Isaiah 43, 3 and 4. Pull this one up. Now look at this. God says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Holy One of Israel. Your, that is Israel's Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom. Uh, What does he mean by that? Well, you remember when uh, uh, the Jews were in bondage in Egypt and God had to bring Moses in and and the Red Sea had to split apart and they marched out. And then the Egyptian army tried to follow and the whole army, all the brightest and best young men in Egypt were drowned in the Red Sea. He gave up Egypt, God did, in order to get Israel. He couldn't have them both, so he he said, I'll take Israel. He says, I gave Egypt as your ransom. That's what I had to pay to get you out. Cush and Sheba in exchange for you. They were part of the Egyptian army. Look at verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and because I love you, I give up other men in return for you and other people in exchange for your life. So the Jews said, God loves us. Sorry about that, Gentiles. And here John comes along and says, God loved the world. Praise God. His love comes to the Jew. But ultimately, it was just a starting point and would finally embrace the entire nations of the earth. Here's a second thing that would have been surprising. And that is, he not only loved the world, but he loved them enough to give his son for him. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His only begotten Son. Now, the Jews knew God had a Son. Psalm 2, 6 in the Old Testament, As for me, I have set my king on Zion. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. That was a decree. The Messiah was God's Son. In Proverbs 30, verse 4, listen at this verse. Who has established all the ends of the earth? And what is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Isn't that an amazing verse? Who wrapped up the waters in a garment and established the ends of the earth? In other words, who created everything? What's his name? And what's his son's name? Why would he add that? Because in the Old Testament, God had a son. Now, here was the shocking thing in this verse that God loved the world and gave that son not simply to the Jews, but to the world itself. What an amazing, even shocking revelation in the New Testament. I want to make a couple of comments here. One that I that just I thought, you know, a lot of people try to draw a distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. God of the Old Testament's a God of wrath. And the God of the New is a God of love. Let me show you now. John 3:16 says. That God, that is the God of the Old Testament, so loved. Amen? That's the God of the Old Testament. He loved. The God of the Old Testament is not simply a God of wrath. He's a God of love and the God who sent Jesus Christ. Another thing is, he sent his only son. If you've got some valuables, you probably keep them safe. But if you've got only one valuable, (laughs) what do you do with it? You really keep it safe. If all you have is one, keep that thing in a drawer that's locked. That's what you do with it. God had only one son, and what did he do? He gave that son. One of the things we'll be talking about is that uh, God calls for us to give the first fruits. Uh, he called that's the tithe, the first fruits, and then you get back the harvest. And one of the things you'll notice is that in the Bible, God did not have sons. Because angels weren't sons, they're servants, according to Hebrews 1. And God had one son, and he gave that son, and now he has many sons. Romans eight twenty nine says that he, he, uh, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, people like him, sons. So God gave his son, got back many sons. When he calls on us to trust him to sow the seed, to give the tithe, give the first fruits, he's not telling us to do something that he himself has not done in an ultimate way. God did it, he gave his firstborn. In First John 4.10, he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to take away our sins. Uh, some time ago I talked to a guy who found it hard to believe that God loved him because of all the suffering and circumstances he was going through. And I pointed him to this verse. If you want to know the evidence that God loves you, don't look at circumstances in life. Look at the cross. God so loved the world he gave his son. There's all the proof that you need that God loves you. So don't doubt it. There's your proof. Let me point out a third thing I think that's surprising. This would have been shocking to the original audience. He says, God so loved the world. That was surprising. He gave His only Son. That was surprising. And here's the third thing. So that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. That faith... Not works would bring eternal life. There is no no message in, in first century Judaism that says all you have to do is believe in the Messiah. Believe in Jesus and His work on the cross and His resurrection. There is no message like that. In Judaism, there were works. You had to keep the Sabbath day perfectly. You had to observe all the festivals, keep the ceremonies, obey all the law, and all of the things written around the law. And then at the end, when you die, hopefully you go to heaven. There was no assurance. There's no assurance in Judaism today. And I looked at some of the religions. For example, Buddhism has... Thirteen steps to becoming a good Buddhist. And almost all of those are based on things you have to do. Otherwise, there's karma. Karma is a Buddhist principle. Karma means that what you do, it comes back to you. Now listen, in the gospel, the bad things you do don't come back to you. They come back to Jesus. They fall on Him. Jesus suffered my bad karma. Can I get an amen, folks? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I know it's free, and free is hard to handle. But He said, if you believe, it is the least thing. Believe with the greatest gift, eternal life, and available to all, whosoever. That's incredible. There is no message like this in all the world. I looked at Islam. I almost became Muslim last week. I was this close. No. But Islam is like Buddhism, only it has five pillars of the faith. And you know what those are? Things you do. You have to give money to charity. You have to fast. You have to, at certain times of the year, in the month, you have to pray uh, certain times of the day. You have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. These are things you do. Every religion and philosophy has eternal life, might be yours if you do these steps. Keep these fundamentals. The gospel says, faith in Jesus, the least thing, gives the greatest gift, eternal life, available to all. It's amazing. It is truly good news. So this is the only message in the world with this kind of content. John 5:24 says this, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, notice that past tense, has eternal life. He hears my word and believes in him who sent me, Jesus said, has eternal life. The moment of faith is the door into eternal life and salvation and forgiveness. They shall not come into judgment, but they have passed from death unto life. Now let me just conclude here with a couple of thoughts. One is, I noticed in all the religions of the world, that even though you're a good Muslim or a good Buddhist or a good Hindu, there's still no assurance. They don't have assurance. There's no concept of assurance in any of these. You, you take your chances. You do the best you can and hope you, hopefully God will understand. Only in the gospel is there the capacity for confidence. When I die, I'll go to heaven. You know why? Because Jesus died for all my sins. I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago uh, from a Consumers Power, Consumers Energy, and um, they said this. This lady said, "Mr. Redenauer, you need to pay," and I forget how much it was—three or four hundred dollars. Uh, X amount within one hour are all your power is going to be cut off I thought that's strange now I'm fairly gullible I'll be honest with you I've fallen for some of these scams over my lifetime several times some of them more than once and but you know I've learned that When they want you, you've got to do it right now. Give me that credit card number and Social Security number and your middle initial, and don't you tarry. I was a little suspicious. But the reason I didn't believe her, and I told her, I said, Ma'am, I don't believe you. And I hung up. Now, when the hour got by, I was watching the clock because I did have a a little trepidation, I will admit. But I didn't believe her because I said to her, We paid our bill. That bill was paid, or at least my wife paid our bill. I know it's paid, so I'm not afraid of your threat. You better not turn my power off because I paid the bill. And when we stand before God and we face death and we face Satan's accusations and he tells us we are not worthy, look at our past, look at our frailty, look at our weaknesses, look at our failures. We hold up the shield of what? Faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith that God loved me, faith that God loved me so much, He sent His Son, His only Son, and that the death of that valuable, worthy Son of God is enough to absolutely and completely absolve me of all guilt, once and for all. So Satan, you can give me a phone call if you want to. You can point it all out and give me one hour to get it done, but I am not listening to you. Click. Now, that is the basis for your assurance. It's the only gospel, only message, and the only faith in the world that can truly bring assurance of salvation. Isn't it good to be a Christian? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you have put your faith in Christ, you've got your assurance on stable ground. The only other thing I would say to you, be publicly identified with the person of Christ in baptism. Not for salvation, but because you have been saved. Be publicly identified, be baptized, and take your stand publicly for Jesus Christ. And that, I believe, is appropriate in the light of what he's done for us. The songwriter wrote, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. My great high priest, whose name is love, he ever lives and pleads for me. Amen. Let's pray together. Ushers, if you'll get ready, let's let's conclude our worship today by our giving. But let's just ask God's blessing upon this and upon those who, maybe if you've not been baptized, you. I hope you'll let me know on the way out today. Easter Sunday is a great day to be baptized. I hope that you'll do that Heavenly Father I thank you so much for this wonderful gospel and the privilege of declaring it that the value of Jesus atones for my sin that you gave him to me and to us you gave him to the Gentiles as well as the Jews we praise you today. We can only praise you. We're almost speechless by the truths in this text. Help us, I pray, to follow you because of your love to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.